Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Today's reading is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Thanks, Helen. Uh, Good to be with you. I'm Brian Harris. I was the the pastor at large here at Kerry. And good to be able to introduce the series in Hebrews where we look at something better, something better. Maybe just an opening question to start with. Are you a change person? So if I were to say to you, how quickly do you adopt change? Uh, are you one of those people who your, your homes are full with new gadgets and you just love things that are new? Or are you one of those people who kind of lags behind and uh, new stuff doesn't come in very quickly? And often we adopt new things because we can see the benefit that's in it for us. So for example, uh, I'm old enough to remember the, the day where very few homes had dishwashers. Um, and uh, when they started to become more normal, our home was one of those that adopted one very slowly because I was the family dishwasher. And because I was the family dishwasher, Rosemary and I would talk about it and say, no, sh- and, and I would say, I think we should get a dishwasher. And she'd say, no, there are very few things that you do well, Brian. That's one of them. Uh, kind of. <laughs> and there wasn't a strong motivation to change at all. And, uh, 
and, and, and sometimes, you know, being willing to embrace change depends upon, you, you know, what we get from it and whether we can see the benefits from it. Now, the writer of Hebrews in this letter, and we, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but we, we do know that the writer was writing to Jewish Christians, people who came from a Jewish background who had been converted, and they were wavering. They were wavering about their faith, and they, they were wavering because... Um, well, persecution was growing. There was persecution amongst the Jews. Uh, there was persecution from the Romans. And they were starting to wonder, is this, is this new faith really better? Is this really beneficial for us? And, and in those times, they would sometimes hanker back, and they would start to, start to think to the old days. And they would start to think, you know, since we follow Jesus, it's just become tougher for us. It's become more difficult. It's, there's, there's more obstacles. Is it really worthwhile following Jesus? Is it really worthwhile following Jesus? And perhaps the key theme that the writer of the Hebrews is, is trying to put across when, when he writes this letter is he's saying, you must persevere. Don't forget how amazing Jesus is. Jesus really is someone who's better. Never, ever settle for a second-class Jesus. Never, ever settle for a second-class Jesus. And, and perhaps to understand it a little better in terms of where those early Jewish converts were coming from, uh, they would have, as they you know, struggled along as Christians in a, in a world that was quite hostile to them, uh, they would sometimes have hankered back to the old days. And they would have thought of the good things that were part of Judaism. And as they thought of those good things, they would have sometimes wondered, they wondered, you know, is Jesus actually worth it? Now, now to understand uh, perhaps where they were coming from, it is pro probably helpful to think of, of the biblical story, and, and I'm sure you're wondering what these six chairs are here for, and don't worry, we don't have six preachers today. Uh, but uh, these six chairs are, are, are meant to represent six stages in the biblical story. Because if, if you want to say, how can I quickly summarize what the Bible's really talking about? You could probably think of it in terms of six scenes. And, and I, I want to quickly run through it in terms of each chair representing one of the scenes. And the scenes are not of equal length. Uh, they, some, some are really quite quick. Uh, others take a little longer. Scene one, in, in terms of the biblical story, is, is, is the opening scene, the scene of creation. God makes the world. And as the biblical story gets spoken about, we have, have, have chair number one. Is, is creation. The uh, second main thing that the Bible starts to deal with is the chair of, of the fall. So a perfect world is made. We, we told about it here in chair one. And then we get this great tragedy in, in human history. The fall takes place. Humanity rebels against God. And everything changes as a result of that. Scene number three, or chair number three, is, is the calling of a nation. The calling of the nation of Israel and the giving of the law and the prophets. Now, now, if you were a Jewish person, this is the chair that you would have sat on. You would have sat here, this era, where God, God had called you. And it, and it felt like a wonderful thing because you were part of this privileged people through whom God was going to bless the world. And you were given some laws and, and prophets came and they, they, they gave the laws to you. And you saw a kingdom growing and you had this code of conduct to live by. And you felt privileged and you felt special and there was a way in which you, you worshipped and you honoured God. It was the third stage in the story. So there'd been creation, there'd been fall to be sure, but now you were given a law to abide by and you were part of a special people and a lot of the Bible deals in this area here and, and basically it takes us all the way through the Old Testament. But then you get the New Testament and you move to scene number four or chair number four uh, and it's the coming of Jesus. 
And with the incarnation, Jesus comes into the world and uh, Jesus teaches us a whole new way of following God. And he dies, was crucified, was raised from, 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 from the dead. His death is a forgiveness for our sins. And, and we get this, this incredible chair of, of, of what we can only call the Jesus chair. And it's the chair that transforms everything. So there had been creation, there had been a fall. And because of fall, humanity's relationship with God is distorted. A nation had, had arisen who had tried to point people back to God, who had spoken of the law and the prophets. And then Jesus comes and actually says, you, says this is the way that you can have a right relationship with God because of my death and my resurrection. And, and as a result of, of the Jesus chair, we, we, we move to scene number five. And this is actually the chair that we're all sitting in. So uh, if you want to know where, where we're seated now, come up after the service, sit in this chair number uh, over here, uh, chair number five, scene number five. It is the scene of, 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 of the Spirit comes. It's the era of the church. It is what the Bible calls the last days. And it is the last days, not in the sense of, you know, there are 37 seconds to go, but it's the last major, major stage. So there have been stages before. There's been the stage of creation. There's been the period of the fall. There has been the creation of a nation and the giving of the law and the prophets. There's been the coming of Jesus. And now we sit in this chair, the era of the church or the last days, where we call to spread the news of all that Jesus has done. And we look back to this chair over here, the scene number four, and we see the resurrection of Jesus. And we see the forgiveness that Jesus offers for sin. And, and we to proclaim that to people. It is possible to be in right relationship with God. And in fact, you can have great hope for the future, because Jesus has come to us as, as someone who's, who, who has shown that death will be conquered and that there is another side to death. So, so, so we live in this chair here. It's what we could call the already or not, not yet chair. Uh, there's the already of all that we've seen through the resurrection of Jesus, and there's the not yet of, of the sixth, which is all things made new. Because the Jesus who is raised from the dead will one day come for us again. And all of reality will be made completely new. And the Bible tells us to expect a new heaven and a new earth. And, and, and so there is in the Bible this, this story with six scenes. Creation, fall, rising of a nation and the law and the prophets, the Jesus chair, uh, the, the last days or the era of the church, and the all things made new. Now... When people came from Judaism to Christian faith, they were moving essentially from chair number three, you know, we are the special nation, and we've been given the law and the prophets, to uh, this, this chair over here, uh, the last days. We live in the light of Jesus. And the writer of the Hebrews comes in, and he's with people who have sat in this chair over here who've observed Jesus and what Jesus did, who have moved to this chair here, but they have moved, they're not always so sure about it. And, and you can imagine, as, as opposition starts to grow for them, they think back to the chair in which they sat for really quite a long period of time, this chair here, being the chosen nation, being the special people, the law and the prophets just having to keep that. And, and you can imagine... Some of them saying sometimes, you, you, you know, I wonder if Jesus really is so special. I mean, is Jesus really so extraordinarily important? I mean, we had a great time back there before we became Christians, didn't we? I mean, when we were just part of the nation of, of Israel, no one was persecuting us. It made it an awful lot easier. And, uh, I mean, there were so many great things that happened in this era of, of, of the rise of Israel and a nation and the coming of the Lord and the prophets. And, and they would actually have sat back and they would have said, do, do, you, remember, do, do you remember in our history 
that God sometimes even sent angels to us. I mean, I mean, do you remember those phenomenal times? I mean, you read about it in Judges. Do you, do you, do you remember how the angel came to Deborah? Uh, you, you know, she was in battle against Mezos, and, and she was there. The angel comes and, and gives special powers at that point in time. And do you remember how the angel came when the nation of Israel is being attacked by the Midianites and comes, and there's Gideon, and an angel is suddenly there. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, I mean this world has been visited in the past by, by these messengers from God, these angelic beings, and, and they came to Deborah, and they came to Gideon. And do you remember when Samson was born? You, you, you read about it in Judges chapter 13. Uh, that, that, that in Judges 13, as Samson's about to be born, an angel comes and promises this, this birth of this extraordinary person. Ah, these were the good days. These were the grand days. These were the days when it was wonderful. And I, I wonder what's so special about Jesus, and I'm wondering why we're sitting over here, and I wonder what we're expecting, because can you really top an angel? And, and that's the question that Hebrews chapter 1 is asking. It's trying to get to the heart of the, so who really is Jesus question? And, and you mustn't think of yourself as hearing that question as a 21st century person. You must think of yourself hearing that question as someone back in the year, and we don't know exactly when this was written. We, we know that it was written before the year AD 70 because that was the year in which the Jewish temple was destroyed, and that clearly has not happened if, if you read Hebrew, so it's somewhere before AD 70. And very early on in the Christian story, and it's two Jewish converts to Christianity who are wondering if they really have made the right decision, and they are trying to figure out, so who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And the writer of Hebrews comes and says, want you to understand this about Jesus. So you think that maybe angels are better? Well, really, I mean, have you, do you realize this about Jesus? And, and if you've got your Bibles, uh, let's just work through uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. In the past, in chair number three, God spoke to us through the prophets in many and various ways. So yes, God did speak to us. God came, spoke to us through the prophets. But in these last days, but in these last days, which chair is that? Chair number five over here. So I was using my own way over there for a moment. But in these last days, God has spoke. So in this period in which we, 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 we're not in, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the writer of Hebrews is about to make seven rapid-fire claims about Jesus. This is the first rapid-fire claims. In the last days, in this period in which we are now, God speaks to us through Jesus. God directly communicates with us through Jesus. Claim number one. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Claim number two, Jesus is the heir of everything that God makes. Claim number three, and through whom also he made the universe. Jesus is the one through whom the universe was made. That's the third claim. Fourth claim, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Fourth claim, if you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus, because in Jesus, you see the exact representation of God. Claim number five, 
sustaining all things by his powerful will. It's not just that Jesus makes the world with, with, with the Father. It is that Jesus sustains the world, and the world continues because of him. Claim number six, he has provided purification for sins because of Jesus. And claim number seven, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He is seated next to God in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And that's the writer's argument. Why are you hankering after an era of angels? Why are you thinking that that's so incredible? Have you really grasped who Jesus is? And perhaps we could kind of think through his argument in a variety of different ways. He's trying to say Jesus is so much better than everything that you've had before, but he's with people who, for whatever reason, kind of attach a certain nostalgia to the past. Let me give you a silly example. Um, when uh, our kids were growing up, uh, they grew up in Auckland, or we spent most of, of those years in Auckland, and they used to love going to Rainbow's End. Rain Rainbow's End was kind of like a Perth's adventure world. I mean, it was a, a semi-respectable kind of theme park. It had a, a roller coaster that often worked. Uh, it had a, a, a fairly nice little gold rush uh, ride thing that was quite fun. Dodge cars that were a bit dodgy, but there, there you go, they went, some little boats that you could ride along. And I mean, it was a, it was a kind of a little theme park. And, and we had many very, very, very happy days at Rainbow's End, and the kids used to love going there. But then, through a variety of circumstances, we managed to get to Disneyland in Los Angeles and had just the most amazing experience there, amazing. And when we came back, going to Dreamworld never seemed quite the same again. It just didn't. I mean, once you knew what Disneyland was like, Dream, uh, Dreamland, what am I saying? Rainbow's End just didn't quite hack it. And I can remember some of the locals who had never been out of Auckland or out of New Zealand, and they would say to us, I don't know what's so much better about Disneyland to, to Rainbow's End. I mean, Rainbow's End's very nice, thank you. So they've got you know, roller coasters there at, in Disneyland. Well, we've got a roller coaster here, thank you very much. And they've got all these special rides. Haven't you been on our gold rush, thank you very much? I mean, they're all really much the same, aren't they? Are they? I mean, not if you've actually been. I mean, you just listen to people saying that, and you say, you are profoundly ignorant. I mean, you really do not know what you're talking about. And some people just, you know, hanker on to things like that. I suppose it would almost like be someone who's a, a Dockers supporter saying, you know, being a footy fan, you know, what difference is it if you support the Dockers or the Eagles? It's all essentially the same. It makes no difference. Ha-ha, is it really? Sorry, for some of you, that's just a little bit too sensitive. Maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't go there. But we, we, we sometimes think that all experiences are equal, we pretend that, but, but when you have something that is in a different category altogether, you, you suddenly realize, oh my goodness, why have I been settling for second best? And, and this is really what the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's saying, you have, you sit there and you hanker after this third chair, and you remember that, and you are forgetting because you are not really opening yourself to all that Jesus is. And you are not allowing yourself to be, you're really not allowing yourself to be impacted by all that has happened through Jesus' life and through the cross and through his resurrection. And you're still living a very old style life and you, and you will never ever 
really come into all that you should be until you embrace being in, in this fifth chair over here. And when you're in this fifth chair and you look back and you see that actually death is conquered because of the resurrection of Jesus, and you actually see that Jesus is ultimately the coming king, and when you live in the life of that, then actually the third chair is an interesting stage in the journey, but it really isn't very significant at all. And I think that the relevance of what's been said to us today is, is, you know, have you dived deeply enough into who Jesus is? And have you actually listened to these seven claims being made about Jesus deeply enough? No, 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 no we don't have enough time to go through all of these seven claims today. But let me just, just very quickly look at two of them. We're told, as, as the writer speaks about Jesus, we're told in verse 2 that in these last days, in this era of the church, God has spoken to us by his son. How do we know what God thinks? Uh, you may say, well, we know what God thinks, and we know that because we find it in the Bible. Absolutely true. But, but the Bible can be quite a difficult book to understand, and it can be difficult to get on top of. And you can look at some passages, and you, you can say, you know, how should we interpret those passages? What the writer is saying, in these last days, this era in which we are in now, God speaks to us through his son. So as I read the Bible, as I read the scriptures, I read listening in the light of everything that the son has said. Or if you were a theologian, you would say, I read the Bible Christologically. I read it in the light of the Jesus story. So, for example, if I ask myself this question, uh, you know, here's someone who's wandered far from God. Here's someone whose life has fallen apart, and, and actually they, they, they are to blame. You know, would God care about them? You, you know, or would, would God be saying, well, serves your right. You know, I gave you the, the, the rules and regulations, and you went your own way, so, you know, why should I bother about you? Does, does God have a heart for people who have shaken the fist at God and who have gone their own way? Well, we, we listen to the words of Jesus, and we listen to the parables, and we listen to the parable, for example, of, of the lost sheep. Jesus tells a story of a hundred sheep, and one went astray, and, 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 the, and the shepherd was willing to leave the 99 behind to find the one, and we say, yes, we hear the words of Jesus, and we say, God does care, and therefore we should care. Or we listen again in Luke chapter 15 to, to, to the parable of, 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 the, of the prodigal son. And we say, what does that say to us? What does God think about that? And it says, of course the Father is watching and waiting. Of course we should care. And therefore, if you want to know whether you should care about people who have maybe strayed fairly far from Jesus, the answer is yes. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. Or maybe you say, you know, okay, so I've come to a knowledge of Jesus, and that's great, but... I mean, I don't want to push that on people. I don't want to force that on people. I don't want to make them feel awkward. I, I don't want to be a religious nutter. And I, I'm, I'm not going to speak about that the whole time. Should I be doing that? But, well, you listen to the words of Jesus, because in these last days, God speaks to us through his son. And you hear Jesus saying, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine. And so you say, oh my goodness. You know, when I'm wondering whether I should kind of just tuck away and keep it quiet that I'm a Christian, I hear the words of Jesus. No, the words of God come into me and those words say, let your light shine. That the world may know the words of Jesus. You might also think at times, so 
okay, so, 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 so what does God think about different things? And, and this is a question that, that we find in verse 3. So in the different things that we're told, we're told these seven things about Jesus, uh, that God speaks to us through his son, that he appoints him heir of all things, that through him he made all the universe. But then this, this, this fourth claim here, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The son is the exact representation of God's being. Listen to that claim. The son is the exact representation of God's being. So what does God look like? And the writer of Hebrews is doing the unthinkable. He's saying that in Jesus, we see God. Now, now if you sit here in the third chair and you're a Jewish person and every single day you've been hearing, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God and you shall serve no other gods besides him. You listen to that and you say, the son is the exact representation of God's being. If the son is the exact representation of God's being, then the son is God. And how can that be if the Lord your God is one God? Well, it can only be if somehow the Son is God. And therefore, in Jesus, I see God, which is how we land up with the doctrine of the Trinity as we go through and we, we put all these pieces together. And it takes a huge mindset shift, but you suddenly realize that, that if I want to know what the Father is like, I say, well, what was the, the Son like? And, and, and sometimes people, uh, you, you know, put these false distinctions up. I've sometimes heard people say things like, you know, the God of the Old Testament seems to be quite aggressive and bloodthirsty and unapproachable and harsh and blah, 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 blah. I beg your pardon, there's only one God. But we see and we understand God Christologically because when we see Jesus, we see most truly what God is like. And, and so, so we perhaps ask the question, we, we, we see Jesus. Let's, let's take another Jesus example. John chapter 8, a woman has been caught in adultery. And in terms of Jewish law, if you sit in that third chair over there, uh, you had the option of having her stoned to death because of that. She didn't have to, but the law allowed for that. And so they bring this woman to Jesus and they say, you know, so what should we do? Uh, should we stone her to death? The law allows for that. And the woman is naked and everyone's gawking at her. And Jesus trying to get the, get, get the crowd to stop just viewing her as an object of lust and all kinds of things, starts to just scribble in the dust. And the eyes look at what he's writing, and then he looks up and he says to them, and if anyone here is without sin, you can throw the first stone. If anyone here is without sin, you can throw the first stone at her. And people look at themselves and they say, oh my goodness, then I'm not going to be the first person to throw the stone because I'm not without sin and the crowd dispenses. And then Jesus looks at the woman and says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go, sin no more. And, and perhaps you think, you know, wow, Jesus is so extraordinary and so good and so kind. I wish that the Father was like that. I wish I could have the confidence that God would accept me in that way as well. And what's the writer of Hebrews saying? But you've just seen God. That's what the Father is like. That the Father is the loving Father. And, and there is no distinction between them. And the Father might have particular roles to do and the Son might have particular roles to do. But in Jesus, we see God and we can have the confidence that we see God. You, 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 you may say, so, 
So what does this have to say to us? What does this have to say to us? I think the writer of Hebrews is saying, never settle for a second-class Jesus. Dive right in to being here in this fifth chair, this extraordinary era in which we find ourselves. God has already done so much. There's been creation. We've seen the tragedy of the fall. We've seen God raise up a nation and try to live by the law and the prophets. And then we have seen the coming of his son, Jesus. And in Jesus, we have found that sin can be forgiven. We have found that death is conquered. And we have been promised that there is another scene yet to come. Because we are told that though at this point in time, the son is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. We have been told that one day he will come again and all things will be made new. And this writer of Hebrews, writing almost 2,000 years ago, says to us, don't settle for anything less than that. Dive in fully to all that has happened to you because of Jesus and recognize that in Jesus, you find everything. You find the forgiveness of sin. You find that you are encountering God, God himself. You will find that he is the one who ultimately will for you make all things new. Let's pray together. And it could be that you've never really encountered Jesus yet. Not, not in the wonder of all that he is. And why not pray that over the coming days that Jesus would become more and more real to you. Thank you, Jesus, that in you we find purification from sin. Thank you that your blood cleanses us. Thank you that in you we find hope. Thank you that in you we see God. Thank you that one day you'll come again. Forgive us that sometimes we settle for something less. We allow ourselves to become discouraged. And we don't follow you wholeheartedly. We pray that in this week, that filled by your spirit, that you would send us out into the world to live for the praise of your glory. Amen. Amen.